Every gospel has its own themes. The Gospel of John is this wedding theme throughout. The Gospel of Luke, the theme of mercy. The Gospel of Matthew, the theme of teaching. The Gospel of Mark has a theme of Jesus in combat with demons. And reflecting on the first chapter and what we see with Jesus and his relationship, um, I, it's the only analogy I can think of, and I thought I was ashamed of it, but I realize I'm not, because it's a very American movie. But Jesus fighting these demons in the first chapter of Mark is like Rocky, in a lot of ways. Like every Rocky movie ever. Um, he steps into the ring, he takes a beating for nine rounds, you wonder why he's just letting this happen. And then in the 10th round, somehow Rocky like, like surmises, uh, just comes up with this supernatural uh, ability to get this energy and say, okay, well, I guess I'm going to start wailing on this guy now that he's tired. And so the Gospel of Mark, in a crude way, is, is sort of like this, in that this isn't Jesus' first encounter with a demon in Capernaum. The first encounter is that Jesus has spent 40 days in the desert. 40 days of being on the passive end, of only being tempted. And now that he's been tempted and endured temptation for 40 days, Jesus now goes to a synagogue where he's surrounded by men of goodwill, men who are trying to grow closer to the Lord. And then whenever Jesus is on the offensive, does this demon come out? And so it's interesting to think about but this man who goes in the synagogue, the demon doesn't come out until Jesus starts speaking, until his teaching comes out. It's, we can maybe surmise that this is a man of goodwill, that he just regularly goes to the synagogue, and that only when Jesus teaches with authority do the demons come to light. And so maybe this man, you know, there's a little bit off about him, maybe like, you know, he twitches a little bit, you know, like, oh, there's Jack, you know, he's always here, but like, Maybe he's got a little demon, but who knows, you know? Um, but that this man is moving from good to better. And so how does Jesus relate to this man, to this demon within him, to a man who's moved from good to better, not just a man who is totally overcome by Satan? And so how does Jesus kind of full court press whenever the demon is on the defensive? I want to point out what the demon says. He asks two questions, and he makes one accusation. Two questions and one accusation. The first question that the demon asks whenever he's pressed is, what have you to do with us? Whenever the devil feels threatened, his first appeal is to privacy. What have you to do with us? Your interests are not our interests. Whenever Jesus presses into the soul who's moving from good to better, and, and the teaching of Jesus starts to show light upon maybe, uh, maybe some teachings, uh, maybe some issues with the teachings of the church on marriage. Maybe it's with our own personal finances. Maybe it's just with particular attachments that we have not yet let Jesus approach. Is that some concupiscence, something within us, says, what have you to do with us? What have you to do with us? The demon wants to exist apart from God, wants to find freedom away from God, but all that it's doing is burying itself into deeper and deeper isolation because it begins to exist apart from God. The demon always prays, plays the 
privacy card that God has his rights and I have mine. And God has no place touching this. The church has already taken enough. Jesus has already taken enough. They have no business having, um, having their nose stick in my private affairs, the church. And so what ends up happening is that we refuse to be redeemed in the way that Jesus desires to redeem us. Because as St. Irenaeus says, Jesus desires to assume all humanity so that he can redeem all humanity. Jesus approaches us and desires everything so that he can save everything, so that he can redeem every aspect of human life. What have you to do with us? He has everything to do with us. He desires to save every part of us. But then after being pressed, the demon then appeals to playing the victim card. He says, have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? And I want to shift to this word us because it shows our relationship with sin. This isn't the demon who is speaking. It's the man who's speaking and the man has this demon. And the man loves his sin so much that he identifies himself with his sin. He says, not have you come to destroy this demon, but have you come to destroy us, me and this demon? When a person is entrenched in sin, maybe for decades, maybe a man has been regularly drinking uh, heavily for a long time, and then it's become decades. That man is no longer a man who drinks, that man is an alcoholic. And so whenever the sin tries to be removed, that man may identify with the sin. Say, you're not just taking away the bottle, you're taking away me. My personality is now intertwined with this. Or perhaps just an attachment to any other sin where it's saying, Jesus, I've come this far. Are you going to destroy me as well? The demon can rightfully say, have you come to destroy us? Because the demon knows the gravity of his sin and he knows that he cannot be redeemed. But sin starts to speak in our ear whenever it becomes lifelong and whenever we get threatened by either teaching of the church or by a prompting of the spirit to say it's time to remove this attachment, we feel as if we ourselves are being destroyed. There's this quote from St. Augustine in his confessions whenever he's trying to make his conversion from a life of unchastity. He says this, Vain trifles and the triviality of the empty-headed, my old loves held me back. They tugged at the garment of my flesh and whispered, Are you getting rid of us? And from this moment, we shall never be with you again, not forever and ever. The demon treats the soul like somebody who's been in an abusive relationship for years. That whenever that person wants to get out of the abusive relationship, then the abuser will say, but we've had all these, this good time together too. Can you live without me? Do you think that you can really live um, apart from just not only the bad times, but the belonging and the joy that I've given you? Do you think that you can live without me? Have you come to destroy us? The answer is no. He has come to save us, but oftentimes we identify so deeply with our sin that we begin to feel threatened. The third thing is an accusation. 
And it sounds like praise, but it's an accusation whenever the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons are the ones who correctly identify Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. But the problem is that Jesus is not yet willing to reveal his divine identity. We know that he only reveals his identity whenever he talks about his crucifixion. And so whenever we reveal uh, sin and we do not see Jesus in light of his crucifixion, then we only see Jesus in the synagogue or see Jesus teaching where we know him as the Holy One of God, but he's just another teacher or he's just like a traitor. He's just another healer. You know, he's just somebody else. And so we take the church or we take the promptings of the spirit as simple advice, but we remain the teacher and we remain the ones who heal ourselves. And so the way that Jesus wants to be identified as the Holy One of God is only through the prism of the cross, only when he is pressed upon that this is what the devil tries to do. He tries to stop the teaching of Jesus. He tries to preserve his own existence, keep his own rights, and then question Jesus' identity as the God of love who gives his own blood for those who he teaches. What Jesus does is that he doesn't argue with the demon. He doesn't negotiate with the demon. He doesn't try to embarrass the demon. He only rejects the demon. He only says, be quiet, come out of him. Whenever we notice these movements of temptation and concupiscence within our hearts, it's not for us to detect, well, what's going on here? Maybe maybe this is right. Maybe I shouldn't surrender some shot. But rather, to sleep, reject movements of the movements of the and realize that these ways are Then is terrified before anyone else. Everyone else in the world is probably trying to watch us. But these are the people are more afraid than we are. The demons are the ones who have the right to be afraid because they know the victory of the But if we only take Jesus by the hand and reject the demons, then we get to trust.